North America, South America, Europe, Australia, Asia, and Africa. Yes, cryptocurrency is indeed the revolution heard around the world. Okay, Antarctica too. And today we're pleased to welcome our friend Ran Nooner to the show, host of CNBC Africa's wildly popular The Crypto Trader Show. Ran has a great story to tell and a great accent with which to tell it. So no matter what time of day you're listening, we're about to have a Nooner. See, we're always thinking of you. It's episode number 275 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. It's the Bad Crypto Podcast, show for the crypto curious and the crypto serious and occasionally the crypto furious, but not too many people furious right now because it appears the crypto markets are slowly recovering. I'm Joel Kahn and that guy, he's Travis Wright. Where? Where? That, that guy right over there. Oh, there he is. The one hey. wearing the Kansas City hat. Hey, that's true. There he is right here. Cool deal. How you doing, bro? And we, here we are, episode 275 mm-hmm. on our officially numbered episodes. I mean, overall, we've gotten over 350 episodes. So we just like to confuse you with like little subsets of different numbers. If we could start over again, I think we would just number everything, you know, the same. There wouldn't be mm-hmm. crypto spotlights and specials. and But it messes up, you know, our flow and our producer because, you know, they'll have everything planned out. And then we're like, let's do an episode. And we totally <laughs> throw off the numbering, you know, so it's not fair when we do that. Well, that's why we pay them. So, like, tough. It's not, gotta... it's not fair. Come it's on, not you fair. You hurt my feelings with you changing the numbers. Mm. Are you ready for a nooner today, Travis? You know what? This is a great episode. I think the folks are going to enjoy this. This guy is, uh, he's got a lot of charisma, a very smart folk. And uh, that's what one person is, is a folk, right? I, one person. You could have you could have folks. Yep. And we'll get to that in a moment. But first of all, want to give due to our sponsors who, without this show, would not be possible well i don't know if it wouldn't be possible we just wouldn't be getting paid <laughs> that would suck because you guys aren't paying us right i mean that's true nobody's you know nobody's throwing not even one satoshi i don't think not even one satoshi been donated that's Ugh. fine you don't have to because we could thank blue shares oh, for okay. sponsoring the show the blue share security token. these guys claim to be the first construction and mining company to offer their shares using ethereum smart contracts and providing 24 7 worldwide access to real world value the company is a swiss-based company called interprom mining ag and they are into real world mining not crypto mining real world mining as well as construction and if you go to their website at blueshare.io they're doing their token sale right now and i like to look at the roadmaps to see you know how far along the roadmap are they are they doing this thing well they came up with the idea for blue shares on their existing business in the first quarter of last year 2018 they've put a lot of work into preparing their sto they've been on the road presenting it they've had audits of their smart contracts they've generated 300 million blue share security tokens the bst they're in the offering right now and by quarter three they say that they will be listing on at least one securities exchange. So you can see the roadmap, learn more about the team and the project. And if you are qualified and able to participate in the um, the security token offering, the STO, blueshare.com 
BlueShare.io is the website. So thanks, BlueShare, for supporting Bad Crypto. Yes, and also a big shout out and thank you to Divi. If you've not heard about Divi yet, then you've not been listening to the Bad Crypto podcast because we've shouted them out many, many times. Divi is a crypto app that makes it really easy to earn, transact, and store your cryptos. And they also are the first crypto ecosystem powered by masternodes that can be installed in one click. Mr. Joel Com is a big fan of this, as am I. With the masternodes, one-click cloud installer, you actually can begin earning your crypto at the seriously at a click of the button. It takes less than five minutes to get it set up, and then you uh, basically you have to because what happens is is your cloud mining is happening in the cloud, and so you got to do a little PayPal action to get your masternode set up, and then once you have your masternode set up, you're going to start earning your divi pretty much every day. And if you have a gold masternode set up. Then you're earning about how much is it per day, Mr. Joel? Uh, I want to say the gold is bringing in about fifteen hundred or so a day. In fact, every time we talk about Divi, I launch the Divi desktop app because it's a set it and forget it. You don't have to keep it open, and it's syncing with the network right now. But I'm pretty sure it's fifteen hundred to two thousand a day. So my master, yeah, I think notes, it's around two thousand. I think it might be even be twenty one hundred or so. I think is what I, I'm getting. And then you have another one set up. You have like a silver set up, mm-hmm. and then. I just have the gold set up. It's pretty cool. And so, yeah, it actually reduces the friction of crypto and through the UX and the UI. So go check it out. And if you like crypto and like earning crypto, basically you can stake your crypto with the masternode with Divi. Check it out. Divi Project, D-I-V-I Project. You know, they've got, according to their website, 13,000 community members now and 453 master nodes running. So uh, I'm I'm a fan. Uh, Yeah, do check. And thanks to both of our sponsors. We appreciate you. And those of you in the Republic of Bad Cryptopia, you can show our sponsors some love. Go and check out their stuff. Send them a message. Send them a tweet. Go to their telegram. Say, hey, heard about you on Bad Crypto. And that would mean a lot to them as well as to us. That's cool. That's true. Hey, let's do a quick bad coin update before we get to the interview. Who's bad? Yes, just a quick update to let you guys know that your coin, your bad coin, ladies and gentlemen, is now available on the coin payments platform. Wow. Which is really cool. So what what that means is users can store, send, and receive through their own hosted wallets, and businesses can automate payments through their APIs and plugins. What does that mean? Stores can accept bad coin. You can pay for things in bad coin. You could literally go to Shopify and set up a Shopify store and then connect it to coin payments and accept bad as a payment method. You could do that if you wanted to. How handy is that? Yeah, the folks at Coin Payments came to us and said, what would you think of us implementing bad coin into our roster of cryptos that merchants can accept? And we we said, give us a second to think about it. Okay. <laughs> I was like, nah, nah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. It doesn't sound like a good idea. Yeah, so, uh, you know, again, the community is, you know, awake to what's happening with Bitcoin and they are making it easier. And you could check our show notes for their blog post where they talk about it and their tweet. The show notes for this episode are badco.in forward slash 275. Also, you shared a tweet with me just yesterday, Travis, from CoinHost. Now, CoinHost.io, what's this about? Yeah, CoinHost.io, their Twitter handle is at host, uh, HostCoin. Hoist, hoist con, <laughs> no, uh, uh, host coin. And um, so the CEO, Mac and Matthews, uh, he had sent out a message. So I guess he saw the coin payments announcement and said, hey, 
let's get bad coin on host coin. And so, yeah, so coin host is now accepting it. What does that mean? That means I think you can buy domain names. You can get web hosting and pay for it in bad coin. <laughs> That's awesome. So more and more stuff is popping up that people can pay with bad coin. And this is, we're just getting started folks. I mean, bad coins, not even two months nope. old and here it is. New things are popping up and um, you know, hopefully some new exchanges will be set up in the future. If you have an exchange and think that bad coin would be good on that, then you can reach out to us and, and, and offer us that if you'd like. And uh, we'd love to get that on some good exchanges, especially for folks in America. And, I know they'd like that. and Mr. Travis, right. We have been approached by a couple individuals that are interested in perhaps starting up a bad coin foundation with, you know, mm -hmm. that would become an independent organization that would then be in charge of spreading the, the good news of bad, the good news of mm -hmm. bad. That's I love that oxymoron. The bad news of good. It's, it's all good. It's all bad. Yeah, so think about that, man. That's awesome. So if you're not mining yet, go to badcoin.net. Get yourself mining. I think there's over 500 miners now mining, 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 mining. And you should do it, too, if you like to do it. If you got an old credit computer or just your regular computer, you know, you've never mined before, go try it out. Oh, it doesn't cost you anything. And one more piece of information. We'll be reminding you this many times. But if you are one of the people that is holding Badcoin, the old Badcoin on the BitShares decentralized exchange, you need to do the swap because those will be going away. That that token on BitShares will be going away because it's a it's a worthless token over there. And it was just something that was given away to people that, you know, it was airdropped and it was for people that were friends of the show and so on. If you go to badco.in forward slash swap, you'll see how to swap out your old worthless bad coin tokens for the new nearly worthless bad coin. I'd say worthless, but a bad is worth one Satoshi, apparently. So far, so far, so good. So far. All right. So there you go. There's your bad coin update. And now let's go to our friend Rand Nooner from CNBC's Crypto Trader Show. You know that crypto is moving to mainstream when mainstream television begins to host shows around the subject. And today we have the host of CNBC's Crypto Trader Show along with the ride, for the ride here. His name is Rand Nooner. He's the CEO of OnChain Capital. They're a crypto asset fund and advisory service. And he, in 2017, launched the world's first televised crypto show called Crypto Trader. And it's the most viewed show on CNBC today. Rand, welcome to Bad Crypto. Thank you very much. What a warm introduction. Well, I'm I'm usually a warm person. If Travis does the introductions, it's a little more on the lukewarm side. Yeah, it's true. That's true. But hey, I'm glad you're here as well. So yeah, thank you. thank you very much for having me. <laughs> your your bio is actually uh, a lot more interesting than what I shared there. It's just super long. But if you want to kind of give us just a quick bullet point overview of where you came from, which I know was South Africa, um, and, and some of the things you've done, go ahead and hit us with that so people know who you are. No problem. So um, I'm actually an entrepreneur. Uh, I lived in South Africa for most of my life. Um, my last venture was I started after I went insolvent in uh, two, 1990, so, uh, 2000, about 2000, I went insolvent, 2000, 2001. I had nothing better to do. 
and I had a girlfriend who was doing in-store promotions. Now, in-store promotions are the, the ladies and guys that you see in the stores doing alcohol tastings and toothpaste tastings and stuff like that. I went to visit her one day in a store when she was doing these, ta- these tastings, and a few things happened. The first thing is she wasn't there, which showed me the first problem in this industry that uh, the people that were supposed to be working don't go to work. The next thing is I saw 60 other people in one supermarket doing exactly the same thing and uh, realized that there were about 5,000 supermarkets in South Africa. And I multiplied 5,000 supermarkets by 60 people doing promotions, and I realized this is a huge industry. And to cut a long story very short, um, started a business in 2001 and sold it in 2015. Um, When I sold it, it was the biggest sales and marketing uh, agency in Africa. And it was sold in the biggest transaction that had taken place in media and marketing on the African continent uh, by 2015. And if I'm, I stand to be corrected, but I still don't think there's been a bigger transaction in that vertical in Africa. That's awesome. Looks like the publicist group snagged you. Yeah. The publicist group were the guys that bought us. Oh, that's very cool. That was my history. And I, I mean, I sold out of that business, um, promised my wife that we're going to retire and travel the world at the same time, landed up discovering, uh, Bitcoin and crypto. And specifically, one of our biggest clients in this marketing agency was Vodafone or Vodacom. And one of the biggest projects that we're working on was this project called M-Pesa. Now, for those listeners who don't know what M-Pesa is, M-Pesa is peer-to-peer money transfer, but with a centralized bank in between. And we had endless problems because we always needed a banking license in order to, to perform the services. So what people don't know is that a lot of the challenges that we had around launching and running M-Pesa was the fact that we were always hindered by the banks and the banking licenses and the corruption that happens in between when you're living in a, in a continent like Africa or on a continent like Africa. And so when I discovered Bitcoin, what I realized was that Bitcoin is actually M-Pesa without the bank in between. And that got me right down the rabbit hole and I haven't been able to come out since. Yeah, those pesky banks, they don't seem to want to, uh, to play along. Uh, they seem to like their... Uh their ingrained system that's of this fiat currency that's been around for a long time. They, and they like the, they like all of the intermediaries and uh, all that stuff. It, it seems like they don't, they don't like this whole Bitcoin thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the problem is not the banks. I think the problem is much more the regulators. So, you know, I think banks should be able to exist, but I think there's a level of regulation, which is too high on the banks. And um, I, I think a lot of the pushback we're getting from banks is actually not really the banks. It's actually the regulators. Mm. Is that the regulators in, in South Africa or just all over the world? Well, I think banks are highly regulated. I mean, if I look specifically at United States uh, regulators, I think that the United States is one of the most over-regulated financial systems in the world. Amen. Now, Come I, on, preach it, brother. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in general, the U.S. is an over-regulated society or country. I mean, having come from a country or a, or a continent where laws are very flexible, to say the least, um, you come to the U.S. and you realize that in the U.S. everything works on systems and processes because you're dealing with so many people. And it's super, super, super regulated, ridiculously, stupidly regulated. And to add to all of that, it's also over-enforced. Like, you know, there, there, there are many countries that have amazing laws but don't enforce them as harshly as the U.S. enforces their law. Well, I have a theory that the U.S. is over-policed. Um, there's too many police. There's too many policemen. There's too many uh, law enforcement people, and they have to earn their living. And so what they do is they over-enforce the law, 
And I've met people since I've moved to the U.S. that have been convicted of crimes for the most ridiculous, stupid things, um, where in other countries that probably be let loose. Yeah. So I think the U.S. is over-regulated and on top of that, over-enforced. And that, that's a very scary combination, specifically for startups. And we see that when we look at the 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 ICO or blockchain company infrastructure in the USA. Um, it's disappointing because there are so many rules here and there are so many entities within the US who want to take responsibility for enforcing the rules that the result is for these startups, they cannot, they cannot work properly. Well, you know, we are the land of the free and the home of the brave, or at least we started out that way. And now a certain number of the population have been persuaded and convinced that they need daddy government to protect them and to make sure that, you know, they they run their lives and are provided for. And it's it's really becoming a, a nanny state. And uh, it's unfortunate because people have really been brainwashed into thinking that government can solve their problems. Exactly. And, gov and I mean, again, like I say, everybody here, um, just make sure that they follow the rules and impose the law correctly. And you know, that's the way that businesses are set up here. They're set up here to avoid liability. I want to give you a, a really, really, really crazy example. I have been banking with my existing bank in South Africa for many, many years. I'm, uh, I think, a good client. I have a relatively good balance sheet, a high net worth. And uh, I came to the U.S., and, you know, in South Africa and in Europe, I hold uh, American Express Platinum cards. I own Visa Platinum cards. I spend a lot of money on credit cards. I came to the U.S. Uh, two months ago, and I applied for a very basic credit card, which was going to give me $5,000 overdraft. And because I don't have a credit score, I was flatly declined. You know, no negotiation. You, you simply don't have a credit score. Therefore, we cannot assist you. And, I mean, it's, it's that kind of pragmatic thinking that follows the rules without any type of human interaction or, or human involvement that um, I think it it hampers innovation. Uh, you it, know, it certainly I, does. Yeah, Travis, go ahead and do because you talk about this all the time. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things that Joel and I we chat about on you know frequently because you you kind of hit on it a little bit when you were talking about the ICO craze and how you know innovation is you know the frameworks here in America. What we're seeing is you know the Silicon Valley of tomorrow is not in America. It's in Switzerland, it's in Singapore, it's in, you know, Costa Rica or Malta or Gibraltar. It's all over the place. These innovative companies now that would be built on blockchain or some of these other emerging technologies are leaving America. And I think that you're right. They overregulate. They they don't necessarily even understand the technology, right? So they want to regulate something they don't even understand, and they push away the innovation, and the innovators leave the country, which is not good for the overall future look of the economy, right? So, yeah, when I moved to the U.S., I moved to the U.S. Uh, about two months ago. And the reason why I moved here was because I wanted to leave South Africa because South Africa didn't have the blockchain opportunity that I required. There were very few startup companies. Mm -hmm. You know, it's in the bottom of Africa, and there's no VC. And I came to the U.S. with the expectation that when I get here, it's going to be like a startup nation when it comes to blockchain. And, I've, of course, I had visited here before. And I feel that all the American companies, whether they're registered in the U.S. or whether the founders just live in the U.S., spend 50-plus percent of their day working out how to comply with existing regulation and legislation that is antiquated for this new asset class. And I want to give you 
a ridiculous example, and I'm not going to talk about which company it is because I'm, I'm under a, a confidentiality, but there's several companies that I'm working with that raised money in ICOs here in the United States in the beginning. Then what happened was the ICO, the, the token started trading at a much higher price and they sold more tokens into the market and they raised more money. So they had much more money than they actually raised. And now to comply with the SEC uh, regulations, they are giving back the ICO investors their initial investment and basically going, look, this token is too dangerous. It puts us under you know, the scrutiny by the, the, the authorities here. And they're returning the investment made to the people that invested originally at the same price they invested. Now, that baffles my mind because that means that those companies, from investors like you and I, they got an interest-free loan. We bought in at $0.10 cents and they're going to return $0.10 cents to us a year or two years or maybe even two and a half years later. And this is what the SEC calls protecting the investor. I don't know how getting my money back from a successful company is protecting me, but that's probably another discussion for another well, well, at what point did, you know, Americans decide, and I don't know the actual history of this, that we needed government to protect us from scams? What happened to personal responsibility? What happened to doing your own due diligence? And if you make a stupid, bad investment and you lose your money, guess what? You made a stupid, bad investment and you lost your money. Uh, you know, it's like what, whatever happened to personal responsibility? And I have a feeling that you are a big fan of personal responsibility. Look, I am. I, I very much am a free market fan. And I believe that, you know, the markets must be led to do their, their thing. Although, you know, I think culturally the United States is about protecting its citizens. And the biggest responsibility that the government has here is about protecting its citizens. And it protects and polices its citizens very much to make sure that every single individual is safe. I want to give you another example. It doesn't relate to blockchain, but it, it shows the culture or the culture shock that I'm experiencing here in the US. I come from a country where even if your house is in the middle of a robbery and you phone 911, there's a very high chance that nobody will answer. And if they do, there's a very high chance, over 50%, that nobody will come for the next hour to hour and a half if they come at all. So that's the one extreme. And I talk from experience. I was held up a few years ago in my house with people with guns, and the police never, ever came. It just They didn't have the manpower to come. On the flip side of that, when I arrived in New York one night at 10 o'clock at night, my son, who's three years old, said to me, Daddy, there's a fire engine outside, a fire, a fire truck outside. And I said, oh, that's cool. And I looked outside, and there was a fire truck with six firemen on it. And there was a police car on either side, each one with two people on it. And I thought, wow, this must be like a, there must be something huge going on here. I've never seen this much manpower. Anyway, I took my son down. It was 10 o'clock at night. And as we approached the, the fire truck, a policeman came up to him and said, please, sir, step away, step away. And I thought, like, this must be really big, but I don't see any smoke. I don't, I don't, I don't see anything wrong. Anyway. Long story short, they started up these chainsaws, you know, and these chains. And I'm thinking, wow, someone's really stuck in this apartment. And all this was because there was a loose branch hanging from a tree. And the branch was about, I mean, if you stood on a chair and you jump, you could break this branch down. Now, again, that is how the US government takes upon itself the responsibility of protecting its citizens. And they do this with investments as well. And the result is, that unfortunately they've adopted an approach which is over-conservative and probably not good for business in this country. 
and that ultimately not good for the individuals that they're trying to protect, right? It actually it it trains people to not be responsible for their own lives. Yeah, I agree with you very much. So, and their own investments, and um, you know, they count on the government on government to protect them. And I agree, government should protect against scams, but not against the launch of new asset classes, or at least in these cases, they should apply some kind of flexibility. But it seems that, you know, the SEC want this. And for as long as uh, Jay Clayton is at the helm of the SEC, I don't think mm. anything's going to change. And it's yeah. very, very sad. Yeah, that's always been one of those things, too, that I think that it, it, it whenever you have big government that's overarching, that that has to, you know, hold the hold the populace's hand, like you just said, oh, there's a one branch. So let's send out six people in a fire truck and four cops, right, to cut down a little branch where you could send down, you know, two people to go do that effectively. I think what it does is it creates a victim mentality where people have to, they feel like, you know, they're just, they're, they're incapable of doing things on their own and then they start blaming others. And it just, it just creates this downward cycle when you get too much government, I think. And, uh, and so that's, that is the problem. And then what happens is you have this things like, Oh, well, you know, you're not, you're not worth a million dollars. And so you can't invest in these ICOs. Right. It's like, that was one of the times where, you know, some of the greatest wealth was created and they were saying, nope, you're in America, you can't participate. And it's like, well, we're the home of the brave, land of the free, land of opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, and we're not able to participate in this new crypto asset class and help funding. And so, you know, that's that's been an interesting challenge, I think, for a lot of us here in America as, you know, the the, the, the crypto world has evolved and, you know, We've seen a lot of companies leave. We've seen the, we've seen people. There's some workarounds and stuff. I mean, if you want to participate in an ICO, you know, a lot of times you were you were able to find a workaround. But it was just, just still, it was just disheartening the fact that you know I can go spend five hundred dollars on a lottery ticket down at the at the convenience store, but I can't spend five hundred dollars on an I can't spend two Ethereum and get in an ICO. It's just weird. No, it's, I mean, it's crazy. And I think uh, the SEC have come out in the past and said that they are going to review the accredited investor laws. Again, I think that those laws are antiquated. I think the fact that you that you treat someone as different just because they haven't made money, um, that's crazy. I mean, you take some of the smartest minds in the world are people coming out of college and they haven't made a million dollars, but they're the smartest minds in the world. And, and they're probably better investors than people that have been there for 20 years because they're up to date with systems and processes and, and everything else. And um, they can't invest because they're not accredited investors. I think that's, uh, that's unfortunately where we are here in the US. And um, we, I think, unfortunately, we're going to have to learn to work around it or within it. Are you are you thinking about moving back now that you've been here <laughs> and are experiencing something that you didn't expect? Look, for now, I'm, I mean, I, I only got a, a three-year work visa. So for now, I'm only planning to be here for three years, and I've got a lot on my plate and probably enough to cover me for way over the three years. Mm. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I look at the industry as a whole, and I want the industry to be in the USA because I think the USA has some of the smartest minds in the world. They have universities and, and colleges which are very strong in maths and science and cryptography, and that's what you need for this revolution. You need that. But again, I think that the U.S. is uh, unfortunately messing it up by being over-policed. And they need to, they, they need to realize 
the value of this next revolution. And until they do, until they realize the value of this next revolution. Nothing well, I do know that, you know, that it's interesting that they're not necessarily putting definitive regulations on the space. They're just kind of using some of their old antiquated regulations. And they're, they're sort of holding off on, on plopping down the crypto asset regulation stuff, you know, on the pipeline. So we'll see how that goes out. I want to ask you some some questions around this. So you had a creative agency. You know, you did a lot of interesting stuff there in South Africa. Like you said, you had the Creative Council, which was a, was a top agency, and, and you ended up selling that. What do you think about blockchain and advertising? Because I think that Bitcoin, you know, revolutionized the financial world. I think the blockchain can also revolutionize advertising. I'm very excited about that space. What are your thoughts on blockchain plus advertising? Yeah, I think there are many uh, verticals. I think most verticals are going to be disrupted in some shape or form by blockchain. I think the first vertical or the most imminent one is banking, insurance, finance. I mean, that's the one that's really going to get hit hit the hardest. Um, And then, of course, there's going to be a whole lot of overflows. Now, advertising is definitely going to be um, um, uh, disrupted by, by the blockchain. We can see that just by Block One's announcement this week, where they announced that they're launching a, a decentralized version of a social media company, um, which where users will get money for generating their own content, uh, as long as people read. I think they called it the Voice or Voice. Um, now, again, that's that's one of the big industries that's going to be disrupted. Why? Because it's one of the most centralized industries and one of the most broken industries. Example: um, YouTube views. No one in the world can tell you that they're willing to put their hand on their heart and say that YouTube views are real views. I mean, you know, no one can tell you that. Are you saying, um, are you saying that's everything's fake centralized? News? You can't. <laughs> I'm saying that no one can tell you. Right. You've got no one to talk to. No one can audit this because it's all owned by Central. And this is one of the biggest problems that we had. We could never work out the efficacy of our campaigns because the data we were getting was, you know, along those lines, let's talk about social media and centralization, the, the big tech companies, Google, Facebook, you know, Twitter and others in other parts of the world that really dominate the space. What do you think is going to happen in the social arena? Will will there be something disruptive enough that actually takes the, the major uh, so Silicon Valley companies down? Wow. Okay. So now you've opened a can of worms because I feel very passionately about this. I'm all about the the worms and and we're going to go fishing with some of them. Go for it. Okay. So to me, had people or had the governments woken up many years ago, then they could have maybe got in the way of Facebook and Twitter and whatever else. Today, I believe that the most powerful man in the world is actually not any of the presidents, but I think Mark Zuckerberg Mm -hmm. is probably the most powerful man in the world. He has more reach more influence and more inhabitants in his country, in inverted commas, than any president in the world. And he has more say than any president in this world because he's not democratically elected. So he can enforce whatever rules he wants on Facebook regarding your data, my data, how they're going to cross-sell to us, who they sell data to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that, unfortunately, they're at a point now where, you know, we're on that turning point where very soon maybe every single one of our transactions will be done via Facebook or something that's related. You know, they're launching, rumors are that they're launching a stable coin and they're launching a whole lot of other cryptocurrency initiatives. 
That is so that we never, ever leave their platforms, so that we can start transacting using their currency on their platform. Now, that's very dangerous. That's going to make it the biggest country in the world, the biggest financial institution in the world, the biggest network in the world. So now you say, okay, what do we do? Naturally, we should all want to move away to a decentralized version of that. The problem with that is that there's only a few of us that have read the memo and actually at this point believe and have a burning desire to move to centralization. The majority, the masses, they don't even know what the word centralization means. You know, Facebook, WhatsApp are very, very big in Africa. Like everybody communicates via Facebook or WhatsApp. Those guys don't know what the difference between centralization and decentralization and a centralized currency versus a decentralized currency. A farmer in Rwanda, a domestic worker in South Africa, they don't know any of this. You know, these people have been voting for the same political party for years, even though the political party hasn't delivered anything because that's just how they're programmed. And unfortunately, these are the people that are using the centralized platforms like Facebook, like Twitter, like, like everything else. So I think that we're in a big, big, big problem. And ideally, if we want to, in inverted commas, save the world, we need to move as many people to this decentralized economy as possible. And I hope that the financial incentives of moving to a decentralized Facebook will be big enough to attract enough people to get there so that we can have a network. Yes, preach, brother, preach. Yeah, now, you know, we've had some conversations about this, too. We think that, you know, that the that the Facebook cr- cryptocurrency could be a double-edged sword for Facebook because, one, you know, Facebook launches a crypto to 2 billion-plus people. That's going to make a whole lot of people know about crypto, right? But, two, it's going to start making people ask questions and say, wait a second, why is why is Facebook the one in charge of this? And maybe start understanding more about the decentralized nature of real cryptocurrencies, right? Because because the Facebook coin is going to be very centralized. But, you know, some of the other ones out there, when they start understanding, you know, I think it might might start make them understanding about Bitcoin a little bit more. Maybe go down that rabbit hole and say, wait, this is a completely decentralized platform. Why do we need the why do we need the, the Zuckbucks when we can use Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin or any of these other coins? And so, that's kind of what I think is that it's going to make a lot of people aware of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, and it's going to take a lot of people down the rabbit hole. It could be that watershed moment that brings the masses to crypto that we've been waiting for. And it could, you know, I think over time be very detrimental to Facebook and these tech overlords, because once people start understanding blockchain, they start understanding the decentralized nature of blockchain, then I think people start leading leading towards wow we do need decentralization and maybe they'll start leaving those platforms that's my hope but i could see where you're right facebook could then become the biggest country uh per capita in the world gdp based on all their currencies and uh, that that could be quite frightening yeah i'm not sure that you're right about uh, the facebook cryptocurrency helping the ecosystem as much as we think and the reason for that is i don't believe that the facebook cryptocurrency has a, I don't believe people will even know they're using a cryptocurrency. They'll have some kind of wallet that is built into their Facebook profile. They'll have no idea that it's actually cryptographic. And what they'll do is they'll just use it like they use PayPal or Venmo and just think that that's how it is. 
I believe that, you know, Facebook is all about user experience. And I believe that Facebook will fix the user experience. But of course, it's much easier to fix a, a user experience in a, in a centralized uh, environment. So, you know, the problem with, with Bitcoin is the fact that you've got to get used to decentralization. And I think with a Facebook, with a Zuckbuck or whatever it is, you'll still be able to find Facebook if your money disappears out of your wallet. And you'll never, ever be given a private key to manage. You know, and you'll never, ever have to enter a public key to send money from one person to another. You'll just use their Facebook profile. I think Steam, though, is going to become the MySpace of, you know, of social. Because didn't Block One just announce that they are launching on EOS Voice, which is a, a new decentralized social media platform that is uh, supposed to compete with Facebook? Exactly. And, you know, the irony is that, you know, you, you think who, who was the founder of Steam? And it was Dan Larimer who was the founder of Steam, if I'm not mistaken. And who's the founder of The Voice? Well, we know Dan Larimer is somewhere in block one. So, you know, put one and one together. Well, I think The Voice is a TV show, but this is just voice. Not to be confused. Uh, Just a little bit of trivia, though. You know, Travis, you said watershed moment. Um, I'm wondering, do either one of you know where that phrase watershed moment came from or what it means? Guilty as charged. I had to duck, duck, go it so that I would know. Um, In the U.S., the the technical sense is a a drainage area feeding a river or other water system, which it means um, uh, an experience or event which produces profound effects later on, much as heavy rains in the mountains may lead to floods later on in the valley below. So in a sense, growing up in suburbia might be said to have been a watershed experience for many American writers who talked about it because it makes no sense. Like, oh, that's why. And now we've learned something today. Thank you, Mr. Jokom. Finally. Now, Rand, are you a financial advisor? I'm not a rich. I'm a financial. uh, I hold a CFA, a chartered financial analyst, but I'm not a financial advisor. Okay, so without, uh, you know, with that full disclaimer there, I would like to know which projects you are most bullish on personally in the crypto space. Um, I think we need to break it down into two verticals. Um, the, obviously, the, to- the first vertical is, let's break it down into three verticals. The first vertical is listed tokens. Um, and when it comes to listed tokens, specifically the top tokens, and the reason why I cite the top tokens versus any other token, I, I think we're getting to that point where we're building slight network effect around the top tokens. So, you know, they say that, What's important is not how good your technology is. It's the network effect that you can generate. And that's why most uh, U.S. projects or most projects that companies bought, they bought, they valued them by how quickly they managed to get to a a million users. And that shows how quickly they were able to generate a network effect. So for me, when I look at tokens today, um, I look specifically at the bigger tokens, the ones that are managing to generate the network effect. So, you know, you talk about tokens like uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, either variance variable of Bitcoin Cash, so Bitcoin ABC or Bitcoin SV, uh, EOS, Ethereum. Although I am worried about Ethereum and scaling, I think Ethereum are are losing a lot of the developers to more decentralized options. So you know things like EOS and Tron. You know I think people are going, you know they're not that decentralized, but okay we can still use them for what we need to use them, and so they they use them. Um, so those are the ones. The, the top tokens excite me. Then there's a, another category of companies that excite me, and that is the companies that don't have tokens at all 
And these are companies that are building stuff that we need to use the blockchain. So cybersecurity companies, there's a company in Israel, which I'm very excited about, a company called Puzzle, P-U-Z-Z-Z-L-E. And what they are, they're cybersecurity experts who uh, who come from ex-military uh, cybersecurity who worked for the prime minister's office. And these guys are developing uh, custody solutions which link your hot wallet and your cold wallet in a certain way, in such a way that you, your cold wallet can never be hacked. And that's that's amazing for me. So that's the other vertical of companies that I'm excited about. And the last vertical of companies that I'm really excited about is startup companies. So companies that we're incubating or accelerating uh, right here in New York City. We're, we're accelerating a whole lot of companies, trying to get them uh, through a, a rigorous acceleration program and get them out there. And there again, we're looking less at tokens, but much more at companies that are building infrastructure. It's definitely an exciting space. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. I mean, you know, we had the crypto winter and here we are, it's thawing a little bit. And uh, now we're having some crypto spring and people spent a lot of time building during the crypto winter. And now they're starting to see some of the fruits of those labors, which is nice. I want to I flip the switch a little bit to you and talk about Talk about crypto trader there on CNBC. How did that? How did that begin for you? And uh, what's what's it like being on a, a large uh, a large network? So how it began was it's a crazy, crazy, crazy story. Um, obviously, being an investor in the space, I struggled to get around about 2016, 2017, I, I struggled to get good information. I, I just simply couldn't find up to date, up to the minute information. Uh, which is what I wanted that was credible. So yes, there was Twitter, but you didn't know what was credible and what wasn't. And there were a couple of podcasts, but they weren't current. They were only launched you know, a week later or 10 days later. And they were much less about news and much more about you know, in-depth topics. And I needed something that gave us news, and that's what I wanted. And so naturally, I went to CNBC, and of course, you know, their first reaction was, this is never going to work, you're crazy, et cetera, et cetera. But eventually... One of my, my good friends is a director of uh, one of the owners of CNBC in Africa. And I taught him about the blockchain. And he then realized there was a penny drop moment where he realized how amazing the blockchain was. And I think he actually went out and bought some cryptos on Coinbase or something like that. And you know, then he wanted information. And we, we realized together that there's this great need for the show. And so he said to me, look, go and talk to the production people at CNBC and tell them about your idea. And I said to him, you know, the idea was saying that, like, I just came up with, I said, look, you know, we should have a show on Bitcoin. And he's like, okay, go and talk to production people. So I go and talk to production people. I thought it was going to be a half an hour meeting. And um, the production, the head of production says to me, uh, I don't really understand what Bitcoin is. Can you explain it to me? And two hours later, after I'd explained Bitcoin and Ethereum and centralization and decentralization, mm-hmm. She also had the penny drop moment and she got so excited and she said, look, we have to have a weekly show about crypto on CNBC. I was like, great. Well, you guys phone me when you need me. And she's like, no, 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 you're going to do the show. And right. I was like, hold on a second. I've never done TV before. Um, and now you guys want me to do a show. She says, yes, and it must be live and it must be uh, 26 minutes. And I was like, whoa, I've never done TV before, let alone live TV. Um, weekly sounds like a big task and 26 mm. minutes sounds like a lot of time to fill. Anyway, we did a pilot um, and it was, it was the craziest thing because we did a pilot 
on what we call the graveyard uh, uh, slot, which is like a 9 p.m. slot on the Thursday night where, where really nobody watches CNBC. And people watched it on TV. Um, it was a terrible show. I mean, if you go onto my, onto my CNBC space, space crypto space trader YouTube, you'll find our first show there. And I, I mean, I was so bad. I was blatantly reading off the teleprompter. Um, I was so bad at TV. I don't think I've improved very much, just for the record. We ran the, we ran the episode. And the next morning, my wife came to me and said, did you advertise the YouTube on the video on YouTube? And I was like, no, what are you talking about? She said, well, you had like 20,000 right. views. And I'm like, what? And then we realized, we realized that it's actually not people in Africa who want this information. It's actually people all around the world who want it. And so that was the beginning of CryptoTrader. It was in August 2017. We're coming to the end of our second year uh, on CryptoTrader. Uh, it first became the most watched show on the channel and the most wanted show on the channel. Everybody wanted to talk about crypto back then. We were in the middle of this bull market that that ran for like six months. And it was um, that's it. I mean, the rest is history. Today, we produce a weekly show. It's being produced here in the United States. And it's aired every Thursday um, and posted on YouTube. Well, congratulations on that. You know, you know those those types of stories are the best. You didn't see it coming. You weren't going into it, you know, to host a show. It just happened, and you went with it, and and that's it's been magical. And as a result, your life has changed, right? Of course. I mean, the the, the show the show has been amazing for me in in many respects. Obviously, it's given me a, given me amazing exposure, which goes without saying. But on top of that. It's made me have to be current with all current affairs as they relate to crypto. Because I never know what the guests are going to talk about in the show. And I've got to make sure that no matter what they talk about, I know what they're talking about. And I have enough to be able to, 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 to conduct a full show about this. Um, and, so, and so, I mean, the show made me have to um, learn, made me have to learn about crypto, made me have to be up to date with crypto. Yeah, that's good. We we kind of noticed that as well when we started our show back in 2017. You know, we started off as, "Hey, Joel and I are learning about the cryptos. Let's let's teach others as we learn, right?" So we call it bad crypto, not because crypto's bad, but because, "Hey, we're not good in the space yet. We're learning about it." And, you know, 350 plus episodes later, here we are, and we've had so many amazing conversations with folks like you and so many other intelligent, amazing people that's in the space. And, you know, with us having to spend each week just diving in and learning about what's going on right now, because you never know, you know, what folks want to talk about. And it, it keeps you up to speed more so than most. So I know exactly what you're talking about. That that becomes a very uh, a helpful thing because, you know, you end up being uh, on top of the thing, that's one of the things that I've always kind of been like, is like, I like to know the trends every year when, you know, Deloitte and Accenture and all those guys and, and Ernst and Young, they put out their, what are the top tech trends of 2019? I'll, I'll always go download those PDFs and read through them. That way I can see where the, where the industries are going. And, uh, and blockchain to me has just been a whole fun whirlwind that just doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. Yeah. I think one of the important things to realize is, um, that in 2017, when I started the show, and I'm not too sure when you guys started your show, but it sounds like if you've done 350 shows, you probably started a little bit before me. Um, but what I realized was that all I was doing, doing a show, was taking the audience on a journey, and that journey was the same journey that I was going on. So it's not like I had this like amazing knowledge that nobody else had. All I decided to do was to film my journey. 
and to film the questions that I was asking and to take users around the world with me on conferences. I mean, we were the first show that ever took a TV crew to conferences and started broadcasting TV shows from conferences. And actually, all I was doing was taking the audience on my crypto journey and showing them the people that I'd met, um, the people that I interacted with, the projects that at the time blew me away, the speakers that blew me away, and the news that blew me away. And all I did was package this into a 30-minute weekly show. Yeah, yeah, that's really, I mean, you, you run parallel with us, only you're the TV version because you're a better-looking person than us. And if you put us on TV, then people might not want to watch and for the record two <laughs> years in we're uh, we're still bad you know we're we're never going to claim to be experts we're always learning in the space and i think you know the humility that you have around it it's kind of like you and in us we are the audience ombudsman right we are we're there to help take you on the journey but we don't claim to have any special knowledge about it we're just we're here for the the giggles and cryptos yeah i mean that's exactly it. I think one thing we all realize from the bull market and then the subsequent bear market is that the people who were the smartest people in the room in the bull market were the dumbest people in the room in the bear market. Not a single person that I know called the bull market correctly or the bear market correctly. Not a single person that I know has made more than three good consecutive calls in a row. So it's one of those things where, you know, if you think that anybody knows better, you're probably doing this whole thing wrong. This industry is in such early stage that you must follow a whole lot of people that you trust. You must learn from them, but you must ultimately, you must take the information that they give you and you must make your own decisions, be it investment decisions or otherwise. I love that. So you're you're being a certified financial analyst, right? Uh, What are your thoughts on, on McAfee's prediction? How close is he going to be? And maybe when do you think we're going to hit some of those bigger numbers like some of these folks like Draper and stuff are talking about? Yeah, so I mean, again, I take McAfee and Draper and all of them with a with a pinch of salt. I love the guys to bits. They've all been on my show. And McAfee, I think be that's how McAfee's going to eat his dick. By the way, <laughs> so with a pinch of salt. salt. Yeah. If, if he eats it, I mean, we'll we'll definitely televise it. That's for sure. And um, I mean, if you want somebody else to eat it, there's probably a whole lot of other channels that would be much more suitable than us uh, to stream that. But um, yeah, I mean, again, I think that everyone can make these. You know. If you want to get a lot of followers and a lot of likes and a lot of uh, news articles written about you, just make bold predictions. So you know, just make a prediction that Bitcoin is going to $100,000. And believe me, everyone will write about it. If you want to lose friends and lose followers, just speak your mind. And sometimes when your mind is realistic and you say, look, I, I'm expecting a pullback. I'll give an example. I tweet stuff like, I'm expecting Bitcoin to go up to 10,000 in the next couple of, of weeks. That kind of tweet can get 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 likes. I, I say, I'm expecting a bit of a pullback because we've had a, a bull run right. of 50 likes. <laughs> it just shows that people are more drawn to the positive bullish predictions. And the truth is, I've actually stopped making price predictions full stop because I've realized that you've got a 99.9% chance of being wrong and a 0.001% chance of being right. And eventually you'll lose credibility. So, I mean, I haven't made a price prediction in as long as I can remember. I I think that um, I I am hereby, if nobody else has named this yet, the time that McAfee is going to have to eat his dick shall be known as the dickening. 
The dickening is what it is. Hey, Rand, do you have your own personal website that uh, you'd like people to know about? So I have a, a website which I use for the purposes of disclosure and transparency only. So um, because I'm in the public space, I take my ethics and my integrity very, very, very seriously. And so I have a website called CryptoManRun.com. And that is just for me to um, disclose all my positions, be they investment positions, advisory positions, uh, or social media positions. Um, and that is so that there's always complete transparency about everything that I do. That site is real time, it's live, it's updated. Everything that I ever do is on that is on that website. But it's not a promotion website. Excellent. Well, congratulations on your success thus far. I know the best is yet to come. You guys can check out CNBC's Crypto Trader. Links in the show notes at badco.in forward slash 275. Rand Nooner, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Rand, for that interview. And you guys can check out his show, The Crypto Trader Show, and find lots of content of his on YouTube as well. Hey, Mr. Joel Kahn. Yes, sir. There is a review, a new review on CastBox. Oh, what did they say? So we did a CastBox live this past mm -hmm. week. I don't know if you guys remember that, folks. We had that's one of those episodes that came out that uh, sounded like we were live because we were when we were live, and then we were not live and we recorded, it, and then we put it out on the podcast. But, well, I mean, te technically, we're recording this live as well. That's true. Well, Emil Ermenkov said, "Great news roundup, guys. Always fun to listen in to bad crypto. Stay bad." So. Big fans Excellent. of the big fan of the show. That's good. Yeah. Hey, leave us leave us a review, folks, and maybe maybe we might eventually give out some bad coin again for reviews. Maybe you should do that. Just well, we it. won't, but maybe the bad coin foundation will. Oh, maybe the foundation will. Yeah. So yeah, please do. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Please go to whatever platform you listen on, whether Castbox or you know on Facebook or iTunes, wherever they take reviews, and and be creative. Write something funny. Show us how bad you are. Hey, and maybe put your bad coin address on the review and then other community members, if they go and see the review, they can send you some bad. Now that is a bad idea and will help everybody to truly stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.